wonderful to see so many here this morning because we come together as a family and we're coming together this morning to hear the shortest sermon you will hear this morning Hallelujah. Yeah, thank you Andy <laughs> I promise you this is the shortest that you will hear between now and when it finishes <laughs> Some weeks ago I did share about, uh, I said there were two things I believe we should be taking people to experience as they come among us on a Sunday morning. It's particularly geared towards Sunday mornings because these Sunday mornings are when people come and this is often their very, very first experience of this church and other churches. In this culture it tends to be the Sunday which is the first contact that people will have with the community of faith. And I shared about us needing to be that family, that people will experience family as they come among us. That was the first thing. And the reading was from John 1, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And that is true for every born-again believer and follower of Jesus. You've been born again into this incredible family of Jesus. And we have been united in him. And have you ever thought in your natural family, you do not choose your natural family? It's a choice made for you, and it's a bit like that in the spiritual family. You did not choose who was going to be your fellow brother and sister in Christ. God has taken that responsibility for from you. Because the reality is, if you had that choice, there would probably be very, very few people in the kingdom. Think about it. Thank you. One or two have worked it out. Because we struggle with one another. It's fellow Christians that very often cause us the stumbling blocks. But as we press on through, God can do something absolutely marvellous in and through us. And so as we come together as the family of Jesus, there is a calling upon us to be priests in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There are statements that I want you to be a kingdom of priests. So you are sitting next to a priest if they are a believer in Jesus. And one of the origins of the word priest is bridge builder. And so we come together as a community of bridge builders. And this is crucial to us as we look at the second thing we want people to experience as they come among us, experience family. That family is building bridges so that everyone might experience Jesus for themselves. We are those people who stand in that gap between God and man. And very often we simply look at that in terms of evangelistic uh, context. But the reality is we also stand in that gap between one another, with one another. You are a bridge builder and how you relate to others can either help or hinder them in their walk with Jesus. There probably isn't a Christian here who hasn't had issues with other Christians. Yes, I can say knowing grins on some faces. The rest are asleep. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. We 
have to get on with one another but the reality is we are building bridges and we can either be a help or a hindrance to others as they come among us in their discovery of Jesus we are called to be bridge builders and as we come together and we reach out a friend of handship uh, a hand of friendship or not even I'll get the words the right way around eventually the hand of friendship to one another, we can make an incredible difference in the journey of other people with Jesus. Do not underestimate the impact you can have on others for Jesus. It doesn't mean that you have to be a raving evangelist. Many of us aren't. But very often that is not the thing that connects others with Jesus. It's his love and concern and his care being manifested by someone else that draws them to the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. And we all have different experiences of those who have helped and those who have hindered us in our walk with Jesus. And as we greet one another, and again, I'm thinking particularly about the context of, say, Sunday mornings, but I am well aware that church life is much, much broader than that. But the way we are welcomed and relate to one another on a Sunday can have a big impact upon how we experience Jesus in the community. So if someone really rubs you up the wrong way on your way in, you arrive in this building with a particular attitude. And that attitude has to be overcome if you want to press in to Jesus. We've all had experiences that have been less than helpful in our walk with Jesus, in our encountering him. Many, many years ago, uh, I was invited to some special event. I can't even remember what it was now, but it, it it was not this church. It was another church. And uh, it was this special event, and we were told if you replied, you uh, you got a reserved seat. I like reserved seats. And so I turned up at this building, not having been at it before, and I simply asked, well, where was I meant to be sitting? And the reply was, you sit at the front, it's not rocket science exactly. I want to poke your eyes out. You know, and and that person in that response didn't help me. They didn't build a bridge in terms of my experience in Jesus. What they actually did was dig a deep pit. And so you find your seat and you're sitting there. And because we are all, you know, we we struggle with some some things, don't we? I was there struggling with... Get them, God. Get them. You know, what sort of uh, welcome is that into any church? And in that context, you've got to battle in order to lift yourself out of that pit dug by someone else in order to overcome and press on into what Jesus has got for us. And that one person made the difference within that gathering. Now, if that one person can make such a negative difference, just imagine how we can make that positive difference as we gather together Sunday by Sunday, reaching out with love and concern and patience 
to one another, we can point people to Jesus. Yes? Amen. Amen. Glory. One of the incredible things as we gather together this season, and the songs have reflected this really, really well, because all of the songs have pointed beyond the Jesus in a manger. They've pointed beyond the stories of Christmas with shepherds, wise men, gifts, and the stories we love so much. But they've pointed beyond that to the Jesus of Easter. And one of the things we need to be praying for and working towards as we go through this Christmas season is that people are not left with the Jesus in the manger, but they are pointed towards the Jesus whose tomb is as empty as his cross. And that is the message that we have to proclaim. And the songs proclaim that so well. Because we need to bring people where, along with the angels, they can declare, He is risen! That the Jesus of Christmas is the Jesus of the cross, is the Jesus of the empty tomb, is the Jesus of the ascension, and is the Jesus who will come again. And that is the message. If you get stuck there with the Jesus in the manger, you've missed it. Because the reality is there's a sense in which you have an ineffectual little child who was want, want, want. I mean, there are young parents here, and you will be able to testify that there is a, a challenge in bringing up young children. In fact, actually, there's a challenge in bringing up old children as well, but it never seems to go away. But people get stuck in this message, in this fluffy, sentimental message of Christmas, and we as the people of God are commissioned to take them beyond that to see the Jesus who is the Savior of the world. And that is the wonderful calling we have as the children of God. There are several of us here this morning who became Christians during the Christmas season some years ago. But it was during that season where we found that the Jesus of the manger is the Jesus of the empty cross, is the Jesus of the empty tomb, and is the Jesus who has ascended to on high and will return again. This is the Jesus who is our personal saviour. This is the Jesus with whom we have a relationship. And in order for us to come into that fullness of all that Jesus has got for us, we need to recognize that the central belief is the physical resurrection of Jesus. Now this is more an Easter message, but the reality is the only reason we celebrate Christmas is because of Easter. If there had been no resurrection, there would be no Christmas. Because Jesus, it would have been just another birth, taken long, uh, happened long ago in a far off land, and it would have made no difference at all. But the fact that Jesus is alive means that his birth is of supreme importance. Without the death and resurrection, the birth is irrelevant. It's just another man. But because we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, we can have a relationship, not with someone who is a fake memory, but someone who is a present reality with us day by day by day. And he is the Jesus that goes with us beyond a meeting. It's great when we come together, but Jesus goes with us when we leave here. Jesus goes with us to our place of work. Jesus goes with us wherever we are. 
Christians, those early Christians died and were martyred because they believed in the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. That is the crucial, central belief that defines us. Terry Virgo, writing uh, an introduction to a book by Adrian Warnock, uh, speaks of how uh, important the resurrection was to the early Christians. And he's putting it against, he's writing it against the the background of the Roman occupation of Palestine. And there's a wonderful part here, he says, and he's writing, happily for Caesar, the one whom the Christians talked about as the world's saviour had already been dealt with in far off Palestine. Pilate, the procurator of Judea, had crucified him, so no problems there. But this, this is the thing that I really love about this quotation. It says, the strange thing was that his being dead didn't seem to bother the Christians since they believed and claimed that he was alive again. So the Romans could say anything they liked, but for these early followers, they knew their Jesus was alive. And the Apostle Paul argued that it was Jesus' resurrection from the dead that designated him Son of God in power. He goes on, they were not claiming that a corpse was strangely resuscitated, which some say. They were not saying that Jesus of Nazareth somehow survived the crucifixion, which some say. They were certainly not saying that though he was physically dead, his teaching lived on, and so we could still follow his dream, as some say. Their claim was far greater. They were saying that the Jesus of Nazareth had been exonerated by Israel's God. He was not simply breathing again. He was vindicated as Savior and Lord with unique and global power. Whoa, now I think that is absolute fantastic quotation. And this is the Jesus we want all who come among us to experience more and more and more because we can never experience too much of Jesus. Whether we've been Christians for days, months, or decades for some of us, there is still more to explore and discover in the love and the glory and the power and the manifest presence of Jesus. And as we come together, that needs to be our one desire, that as we praise him, he comes and meets with us. That's what it's about. That's why we, hopefully, that's why we come together to meet with the risen Jesus. And the risen Jesus was Jesus he created chaos. Now if we look through the biblical stories if we see how Jesus comes he comes and he makes order into chaos for those who loved order for the religious people he came and he blew apart their traditions so the messy Jesus you heard of messy church have you heard of messy church and it's got nothing to do with the mess Jesus creates it's usually got to do with arts and crafts 
But the message Jesus comes and he blows apart the traditions of the religious people. He heals on the Sabbath. He clears the temple. He mixes with tax collectors and sinners. Those people who should be kept at arm's length, Jesus goes out of his way to meet with them. He touches lepers. He heals people who should not have been healed because their condition was seen as a punishment for sin. And Jesus comes and heals. He even speaks to a Samaritan woman. In everything Jesus is doing, he's challenging the religious traditions and values and order of the day in order to establish a new kingdom. Jesus blows tradition apart. And for us, we need to be very careful that we don't establish our own traditions. Because Jesus will not be bound by our traditions. Jesus will not be hemmed in by how we want things to happen. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. And he is the one who will come and establish what he wants. And we need to keep in step with him rather than wanting Jesus to keep in step with us. That is a huge, huge challenge. Because the reality is the way I want things is the right way. Now, within the marriage relationship, it's very often the opposite way around. It's the lady of the household who establishes what the right way is. And the men agree. But give a man a microphone. And suddenly the tables are turned. The way we see things is very often the way we simply will not consider anything else. Because we are right. The only person who's right is Jesus. And the challenge for us is to keep in step with him. How do people experience Jesus through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? That's the only way to experience Jesus. There isn't another way. The work of the Spirit is to come and make Jesus known and reveal Jesus to us. Paul, in a couple of uh, verses in the New Testament, refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Now, this is the Holy Spirit. He's not saying there's a Holy Spirit, but then there's the Spirit of Jesus. There aren't four people in the Trinity. It's going to be a long morning. When Paul speaks of the Spirit of Jesus, he is referring to the Holy Spirit. And we encounter Jesus as we encounter the Holy Spirit. And that is why, as a church, we are firmly committed to bringing people into that experience, that powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. Because as people encounter the Holy Spirit, they are encountering Jesus himself. When we talk about people being filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about? We're really talking about people being filled and having that powerful encounter with Jesus. We need to grasp this, that we're not talking about something else out there other than Jesus. When the Spirit of God fills us, we are being filled with the presence and the power of Jesus himself. Because the Holy Spirit is Jesus himself at work throughout the world. 
That's why for us it's essential that we are a charismatic church, seeking to bring people into that experience of the Holy Spirit, because as they experience the Spirit, is Jesus himself impacting lives. We will not compromise on being charismatic because we want to press in to all that God has got for us. This church was birthed through the leading, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to press on into the Spirit of God in the future because Jesus becomes more and more and more real to us as we do. It's not an extra. It's not something different. When we look at the story of the church in Galatia, they had started well by the power of the Spirit. But then people came along who were legalists and tried to tell them that, you know, it was Jesus plus. You can only be a Christian if you add certain Jewish traditions. And there's a wonderful verse in Galatians chapter 3 where Paul, writing to the Galatians, says this, After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now there are different challenges for us compared to the Galatians. But the reality is it's so easy for a church that has been birthed by the Spirit to try then to continue by cleverly devised programs of man, by having everything sorted out, having everything done in excellence, and squeeze out the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is a challenge to us. We began by means of the Spirit. We must not seek to press on by means of the flesh. That is human endeavor. We are called to cooperate with the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of Jesus. And that can be extremely messy, because sometimes things simply do not happen the way we might want them to happen. Happen. We need everyone who comes among us to experience the power of the risen Jesus. Why, you know, we've been, many of us have been Christians for many years. Why do we come? Because we want to worship Jesus and experience him afresh. We're not interested in just singing songs for the sake of singing songs. We're not interested in just going through the motions. God help, release us, free us from any thought that we simply want to go through the motions. We want to experience Jesus as we come together. Some churches have gone down the path of what are called seeker-friendly services. And that seems to me to be when the power of the Spirit is squeezed out in case something happens that the non-Christian or the seeker does not understand. Now, when you read through the book of Acts, you find all sorts of incredible things happened that the onlookers simply did not understand. But it did not stop them happening. It did not stop those first Christians pressing in for more of the power of the Spirit. We are pressing in and welcoming the Holy Spirit to our gatherings so that we can experience Jesus more and more. To keep in step with the Holy Spirit. To be open to what he wants to do 
in and through us, to be ready to follow where he leads. And that may have a price attached to it. We've never been called to be acceptable or respectable. We've been called to be followers of Jesus. He was not respectable. He certainly wasn't acceptable by many within that community. But he came in obedience to the Father. And that is the obedience we need. Can we stand together? Can Andy, can we have the, the band back up? We come, we declare Jesus is risen. At this Christmas time, we look beyond the manger. We look beyond Bethlehem. We look beyond the nice stories, wonderful, wonderful stories. But we look beyond to the Jesus who reigns and rules on high. Let me read this scripture. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shared on the cross that is the Jesus we worship this is the Jesus we want to point people to this Christmas time this needs to be at the very heart of our prayer at this season that we pray that many will find Jesus Lord and Saviour